What up, Misfits? Welcome to the Misfit Heroes Podcast. My name is Chris, and together, we are going on a journey. Misfits, if you've been following along on this journey of mine, in previous episodes, I've talked about starting a nonprofit company. Now, nonprofits are great and all, but what if you could have a business that is profitable while working to solve a cause and make an impact in your community as well? Well, that is where the B Corp certification comes in. And my guest tonight is super knowledgeable about them. Nathan Stuck is the creator of Be Local Georgia, a Georgia-based nonprofit that focuses on helping companies get B Corp certified and use their business as a force for good. And if you're wondering what companies are B Corps, well, there's tons of brands that you probably already know with more added daily. We discuss what a B Corp is, how companies can become B Corp certified, the great resignation and how the concepts in B Corp certification can combat employees wanting to leave, and how businesses big and small are using their business as a tool for good deeds. Are you ready to get certified, B? Well, Misfits, please welcome Nathan Stuck. Playing the Misfit Heroes podcast. All right, Nathan Stuck, welcome to the Misfit Heroes podcast. I'm very excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm just excited that I've always considered myself a misfit hero, so I feel like this is a fitting podcast to have found and to be on. This is great. It's a good name, right? <laughs> it's a wonderful name. There's a lot of us out there. I listened to you on a couple other podcasts before we got started, and people call you the king of B Corps in Georgia, just FYI. <laughs> so um, I got a lot of slack for my last episode. I messed up and called myself the president of podcasts, but I don't know what I was doing. So my first question to you is this. Uh, is it good to be king? <laughs> You know, I mean, it's a title I never looked for, and it's it's evolved from Mr. B Corp Georgia into the King of B Corp. Yeah, I mean, I, if the shoe fits, wear it. So, <laughs> when I mean, there was no when I started all this, like getting involved in this community four or five years ago, I, there was no real unified energy, and I just kind of ran with it, and it's been fun. And honestly, you get to meet a ton of really cool people. So yeah, I think it's good. It's I'm not a tyrannical king either. So I'm a king of the people. <laughs> <laughs> a man of the people. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, well, welcome to the show. Tell me about Be Local Georgia. I mean, how did that come to fruition? What made you want to get involved with this line of work? Uh, all by happenstance. So I have a long and winding career journey that I'll spare you, but uh, I, I never really found purpose in any of the jobs I had done. But, you know, I always considered, you know, I think I, there's... Even though I'm pretty much Southern at this point, I have the Midwestern work ethic because <laughs> right? my family's <laughs> all from Michigan. And... Um, so whatever you're going to do, be be great at it. And so I had a lot of jobs that that kind of, I think, set me up for success that I didn't realize were, but I, I kind of was looking to reset. And I went back to get an MBA at the University of Georgia in 2015. Okay. And that was after a year where like I had gone from, from two jobs in eight years to four jobs in 18 months. And then another two jobs where now I've gone from professional white collar, like my last job was director of sales and marketing for the German markets. And then all of a sudden I was like, I'm going to do this MBA thing. I can't do another day in this job. And I quit. I drove back to Athens. I figured like, well, trying to figure out what's going to happen. The MBA was like an obvious, except that it was June. And if you know anything about MBA applications, those are long past due. Uh, <laughs> so I had a year to kill and also things like, you know, the GMAT, you need to take that. So you know, I was kind of figuring out like, okay, how am I going to pay the bills for a year? So I drove an Uber and I did setup shifts at the convention center and I bartended and all these industries I'd never, even in high school, like my 
blue collar job was refing hockey where you're making 25 bucks a game, three games a night, yeah. you know, working five nights a week. I went to Europe every summer. Like, I mean, I had a pretty good high school job. I mean, it's hard work, but it was pretty, pretty good money. And so I don't know, I was reading Thomas Piketty capital in the 21st century and I'd burned out on traditional capitalism, but I still love business and its ability to solve problems. So right at the beginning of my second semester at UGA, there was a project that came to the net impact club to work on a B Corp certification. And I had no idea what it was and worked on that project and, and loved my boss, loved his wife, just loved their kind of their aura and their energy around building something different. That was still a traditional consulting business. And yeah, when I graduated, I mean, before I even graduated, honestly, they, they approached me that first meeting was in January. So by my third semester of a four semester program, December, at their holiday party, they invited me to, they were like, if you haven't figured this out, we're courting you. We want you to come work for us. <laughs> and so I started in March before, and I graduated in May. So I'd already pretty much started working for them full time. And I don't know, I just saw this void in the, in the, in the ecosystem. I helped us finally get certified. And because that process took us a while and just there were B locals, there's B locals around the country and it was still a relative, relatively new concept, but they were all more established markets that you would think you would traditionally find B Corps in like Portland, Colorado, New York City, the Bay Area, L.A., you know, and I'm like, what's what's this guy trying to do down in Georgia? And I was like, you know what? We had eight B Corps at the time, and I think the requirement was you had to have at least 15, but I've never been one for rules or requirements. <laughs> so I just went ahead and started one and then just kind of asked for permission later. But yeah, it was just somebody needed to be the organizing force in the state and get the ball rolling and get momentum going. And so I just said, I don't know, why not me? And I was passionate about it. And again, going back to the whole backstory, this was just something that appealed to me from a sense of businesses can exist to make money. We can be profitable. We can, you know, the same tenets of capitalism still exist. You get paid for the value you bring to the marketplace, all the things that I still believe in, but you can do it in a way that you rest your, your head, you know, easily on your pillow at night and you feel good about the impact you're making, um, you know, environmentally with your employees, with everybody, with all your stakeholders. And, and you still made some money that day. I think that's the win-win that just kind of sucked me in of, if I'm going to be a driving force for something in my life, that's going to be it. Well, that's awesome, man. I, I love your uh, your enthusiasm about it. And when you find your passion like that, I mean, it's like every person I speak to they once once they get once they get that that hook in them as to this is what I want to do. I mean, it it just takes off. So I love what you're doing. You know, let's let's answer the question that is really the elephant in the room because I'm sure there's a lot of people sitting here listening to this right now, and they're like, "All right, man." What is a B Corp? <laughs> How did I know that one was coming? Right. So, I mean, <laughs> let's let's get it right out of the way. You know, what is a B Corp and why should businesses care about getting B Corp certified? Ah, that's a great question. I love answering. So, and the best part is you hear me answer and you're like, you figure he'd be better at answering that by now. Um, <laughs> B Corps are for-profit businesses that believe in more than just shareholder capitalism. So, the old Milton Friedman op-ed in 1970, if you ever get an MBA at Georgia, you can take my class and hear me lecture about this. But, you know, essentially Milton Friedman posited that businesses exist solely for the benefit of their shareholders. And that is their only purpose. And what was the quote? Businesses, businesses in the business of doing business. Um, and right. B Corps uh, believe that, you know, we should be looking out for all of our stakeholders. And if you aren't able to do that, you probably don't have a financially viable business model. So it's the only 
third party certified or certification for your business, much like lead is to a building, certified organic is to a milk or, you know, fair trade for a coffee. It's the only third party audited overseen certification that you can get. So I call it the gold standard of corporate social responsibility, especially now in a day and age where everybody has a social mission. Everybody's about diversity, equity, inclusion. Everybody's about the environment. Everybody cares about the carbon footprint. Everybody puts their employees first and lets them bring their authentic selves to work. Well, how can you verify that? You can take this, um, what's called the B impact assessment, and then you can submit your answers and then you can submit a bunch of documentation and then B lab, the parent nonprofit will schedule a time with you to audit your answers and tell you whether you are actually walking the walk or you still have work to do. So I think it's a, it's a beautiful process to make you start to think more intentionally about your business and what you care about and the things. And I mean, even as a B Corp, I can give you countless examples of things we said we cared about that then you start putting your numbers together and you go, Oh, um, maybe we don't care about it as much as we thought we did because our actions haven't been there. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a really cool movement. I think now we're, Oh man, we're probably somewhere in the 4,500 to 5,000 range worldwide. I mean, the number just keeps like, I've been doing these, I've been showing up on podcasts for a couple of years now. And it was like, we're at 3,500. And it was like, we're at over 4,000. Um, even in Georgia, we're at eight and now we're at 19. Um, so yeah, the, it's growing exponentially. And I think businesses are seeing it as a, you know, the second part of your question is a beautiful opportunity to differentiate themselves to customers, to both potential and current employees um, to their communities is just a company that, you know, what's, we have a, a brewery here, Creature Comforts. Their slogan is that Athens will be better off because Creature Comforts was here. And I think that's like the epitome of the B Corp mantra of like, you know, our communities and our people that work for us, everybody will be better off because we did business the right way. Yeah, it sounds a lot like, you know, leave the world better than you found it, right? You know? And and I also noticed that it kind of sounds like keeping businesses like keeping the marketing team in check. Like it's easy <laughs> it's easy to say, "Oh yeah, yeah, we do this, we do that." You know, we we've got this cause, but how how well do you really have that cause, you know? Yeah, and I mean, you think about the old years of like websites and you go on there like about us, our team, and it's like the clip art and there's like you know, the person in a wheelchair and then like, it, like it's just right. like the most forced diversity you've ever seen. You're like, no, like when we made our culture videos, like, no, we're just going to shoot our own team in the office. And right. like, <laughs> if we've been doing it right, we should be just fine. So, yeah. And I've even heard our boss describe it as uh, guardrails for corporate decision making. So, you know, when you're making a decision, you're thinking about something like, how does this align with who we say we are, you know, there's that, like, there's that brand gap between, you know, perception and reality and who you think you are and what, you know, your stakeholders say you are. And so I think that's an important exercise too, of like, that's fine. If you think you're great and you might be doing great things, but if your people aren't living that, if your team isn't living that, then it's, it it is what it is. It's not great. So, you know, I think a lot of this too, and the quantification, the, the measuring of things hold you accountable. I think that, you know, like if your satisfaction rate drops, like you can sit there and go like, well, they're ungrateful because we're a great company. Well, uh, maybe we should listen. So, and I think that's one of the cool empowering parts of working for a B Corp is, you know, I do our employee survey every year so I can attest to that practice of like, Hey, here's what everybody's saying, you know, here's the feedback. And it's just me and the CEO on that first go around. 
and uh, and then be using that to hold us accountable. And yeah, keep the marketing team in check. Greenwashing is a thing. It's not always, sometimes the outcomes of greenwashing are good, but I watched the Super Bowl ads and I wondered to myself, you know, how many, I'd love to see some of their annual impact reports. I'd love to see how much they actually champion some of these causes that they're putting out there because a good marketing team can put a lot of lipstick on a pig. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> but now I can't get the image out of my head. Thanks. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, we talked about this a little bit before you got onto the podcast, but I want to ask you a real important question because this is going to sound like a dummy one. But um, what is the difference between a B Corp and a benefit corporation? Because they are, you, you mentioned earlier that they are not the same thing, but they are kind of intertwined, similar. Um, so can you explain that a little bit for people that don't understand? Yes. And one of these days I'll fully understand it. Um, so public benefit corporations, public benefit corps, um, they are legal incorporation statuses. So you can incorporate in the, think it's 39 States that have that legislation passed. You can incorporate as a PBC or sometimes it's a PBC or a public benefit LLC. So depending on the state, there's different um, rules and, and parameters to how you can incorporate. And then I'm trying to think of what I would want to say next. So, the, so there's that element. And then depending on the state, there's also like different requirements that go into, to incorporating as a, a public benefit corporation. Like what is your public benefit? Some States legislation is more watered down than others. Like in the state of Georgia, I'm pretty sure you can say that your cause is like basketball. Right. That's our social purpose. And everybody's like, good enough. Um, and then in some states, it's really like it has to serve a serious social purpose. Right. Um, like Delaware, I think, is considered like the ideal, you know, the template for public benefit corporations. And then B Corps is that's when you've actually gone through that certification process to get like the stamp of approval from B Lab on on your on your company. And where they there's some crossover is that B lab is part of their legal requirement. You either have to be a public benefit corporation incorporated as one to really bake stakeholder governance into your model. Cause that's the whole premise is to have some sort of legal backup or so if you're an S corp or a C corp, you have to reincorporate as a public benefit corporation. If you're an LLC, you simply have to amend your articles of incorporation to include uh, verbiage around and protections for stakeholders um, that basically, you know, so in, in the case of somebody wants to uh, scale and sell that, you know, and it's happened in the past, it happened with actually the founders of B lab were the founders of and one. And that's where this whole thing kind of started for them. And over time they'd given up equity and things happened and an offer came in to purchase them and they were kind of looking to exit anyway, but they had to take the offer in the best interest of their shareholders they couldn't take the offer that was in the best interest of their stakeholders. So, yeah, I mean, and I forget what the legal term is, but you're literally legally not allowed to talk about. But what about our employees? We have factories in Asia that we're paying, you know, family, American family living wages to. Doesn't matter. Like, you're not allowed to talk about it. Whatever's in the best interest of the shareholders is the offer you take. So that's really what it's trying to prevent. But, yeah, that's the difference, really, is legal incorporation versus um, certification. So there are public benefit corporations that are not B Corps and there are B Corps who are not public benefit corporations, but a lot of B Corps are public benefit corporations or, and every B Corp is either a public benefit corporation or they've amended their LLC operating agreement. So it sounds like the, uh, the B, the B 
corp versus the um, versus a B, a benefit corporation. A benefit corporation is a, your actual your actual legal business entity, and a B corp is just the certification that um, that certifies that your business is a type of organization that aligns to these principles. Is that right? Yeah, and I would add too that like if it. I won't, I'm not going to call it a red flag because that's too, too, probably too much of a generalization, but a public benefit corporation that has not, is not in the process of certifying or has certified as a B Corp would probably kind of make me second, you know, like how, how committed are you to those values and those ideals? Um, or are you doing it? Cause again, then it just comes into, is it just kind of part of the marketing play to say we're a public benefit corporation and most people don't know what it is. They'll either generalize that you're a certified B Corp or just assume some, some level of virtue and, and, and give you points that maybe you haven't earned. Right. Well, that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about because, you know, it, it seems a little complicated for um, the, the average business owner, you know, what is the certification process and is it like a, a hefty task for certification? I think there's like an 80 point system I heard you talk about earlier. Or? Yeah. So you have to get to 80. There's 200 possible points and there's five sections. So the first section is workers. So there's the, or sorry, the first section is governance. Well, and, and, and I wanted to be your B Corp consultant. Um, yeah. <laughs> so the first section is, uh, Sorry, a little Seinfeld reference never hurts. But uh, yeah, the first section is is governance, and it's everything from corporate transparency to do you have an annual impact report? What's in it? What do you disclose internally? What do you disclose externally? Do you have a board of directors? What does that board of directors look like? How much power do they have? Um, have you amended, you know, like, have you met all the legal ramifications or not ramifications, definitely the wrong word, legal framework for B-Lab and um, all their requirements? And then from there, there's a worker section that's everything from pay ratio top to bottom. So what's the CEO? Is he making, you know, one to five X what the lowest paid employee is? Is he making six to 10 X? Is he making 11 to 15? Um, let's see what else goes in workers. Uh, benefits. How much time off do they get to volunteer? How much time off do they get for parental leave? Is there parental leave or just maternity leave? Even things like, do you have a, you know, one for us, it was a very valuable you know, when you talk about the value of the intention, it was lactation break policy. If we, you know, yeah, of course, we would have had one. Like, we're not going to say no, but you think about the the value of codifying something like that and putting it in your handbook when you have a new hire starting or a potential new employee that wants to see the handbook before they start and see what all is in there and what benefits. Like, it's not a bad look for your company to go ahead and have that codified. And know that it's valued by the owners of that business and not just something that like, yeah, 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 just let us know when you need it. Um, so right. things like that, like little benefits that you might not think of that like, oh, yeah, when that comes up, like, sure. Especially when you're small and scrappy and you're scaling. Like we started this process at Advic with eight employees and now we're at 150. Like we didn't have a handbook. The vacation policy was tell our CEO that you're going to be off. You know, there was like, <laughs> when are you off next week? Where are you going? Have fun. So, yeah, so that's the worker section. And then there's a community section that's, you know, community impact. What percentage of revenue was donated in terms of dollars? What percentage of revenue was donated in terms of time, like volunteer time? What percentage of, you know, like for us, it's everybody gets 40 hours to volunteer and we have everybody track their impact in the community. So our, our number one volunteer who's actually in North Carolina, he's in Raleigh, is hit 266 hours of volunteer time last year. I hit 235 wow. and we've created a competition out of it. We've gamified that. So 
Um, and then what percentage of, of revenue is donated in terms of pro bono product or service? So between the two of those last year, we hit like 2.1% of our revenue was donated either in volunteer time or pro bono work. So things like that, the community section also ha- houses all the DEI. You know, I was talking about earlier, like walking the walk of, you know, when you go through that process during the certification and you, you have cared about diversity. I mean, granted we're in the IT space, but you know, I can think back to a time when we were doing this that, you know, I think when we finally certified, we had around 30, 40 employees and we had 74% of them were white men. And we're like, Oh, oh we're doing really well. And yeah. you know, the, the initial shrug of the shoulders is you're in, you're in IT you're, you know, like it is what it is. This is the, you know, like that's what the IT space looks like. And then it's like, well, what if we could be more intentional? So through that process, you start kind of like, okay, well, let's set goals. Like I'm not even going to say our goal is 50. Like, well, let's just do better next year. And slowly but surely now we're 46% white guy, which in the IT space is like uh, pretty, pretty good. But then it's like, okay, but we can also, you know, there's also questions in that community section, like what percentage is, you know, what demographics are you tracking? So, okay. So gender, race, you know, even age, you know, above 55, below 24, are you giving young people opportunities? Or are you giving, you know, more senior employees opportunities? So, you know, being able to codify that and actually think about diversity, equity, inclusion, starting with the quantification, and then you can goal set, then you can set strategy. You can kind of reverse engineer the process. Once you kind of, especially the bigger the company are, you don't know when you're early, it's pretty easy to be like, well, women, uh, we've got Karen, Jenny, Natalie, you know, it's like, right. it's pretty easy, pretty easy to quantify. But as you get bigger, I think that process becomes, and it also as you're growing and you're recruiting and you're, you're putting that strategy together. It stays from, again, going back to the guardrails of corporate decision-making, it stays front of mind of where are we recruiting? What does our job description look like? What's in it? Is it inclusive to everybody? Even little things like women are less likely to apply for jobs if they don't check like 90% of the boxes. And it's a significant margin. It was H, uh, Harvard uh, business review research that was, I don't know, probably 10 years old. So we saw that. And when we weren't getting women applications, when we started recruiting out of undergrad, relook at the job description. So that's the community section. And I would say some of the tangible benefits that have come out of it, at least for us. And again, now we've scaled quite significantly. And then there's the environmental section, which for a long time, again, using us as an example, you know, we're, you know, we do IT consulting. You're talking to me on our supply chain. It is a MacBook. Um, the blue Yeti I purchased for myself, my microphone, but the MacBook is our supply chain. So we kind of looked at the environmental section. I don't want to say we glossed over it, but you know, we put a recycling program in place. We, we forced our office park to, our office park didn't used to have recycling. That was honestly our, our CEO's wife that just literally went from calling them once a month to calling them once a week to calling them every day. And so they went and slapped a big sticker on one of the trash bins and wrote recycling. So you got a recycling truck to come. Yeah, that's how that happened. Um, Never underestimate what you what you alone can do. So, um, so yeah. So we always overlooked that, and then it was we started looking after our because you have to recertify every three years, and we recertified in 2021 and started thinking like, okay, we have to recertify again in 2024. How do we improve our score? And I started looking at carbon neutrality and some of the offsets. And, you know, and I started adding up like, well, we do travel, you know, obviously we didn't a lot of 2020 and a lot of 2021, but we do travel, we do rent cars and we do fly everybody in for the holiday party. And, you know, we do have electric bills and we have remote, even our home offices are using energy to do work for our company. So it was like, well, let's look at scopes one. So we did scopes one and two last year, and then we did scope three this for 2021 
So I just literally just got that bill in the mail yesterday, but it was like, that's pretty easy. We found a nonprofit partner down in Florida that helps with carbon offsets and invests the money in different projects. So it was like, okay. But again, it was like that, that journey to becoming a better company. So that's the environmental section. The last one's customers. So it's a lot around, you know, do you sell their data? What do you disclose what you use their data for? Do you have a customer guarantee? Do you, you know, is your website, you know, how is it GDPR compliant or, you know, then kind of, okay, well, if it's not GDPR, like kind of going down the brackets of like, what do you do? So making sure that, you know, you're selling stuff, but you're also doing things in an ethical way. Yeah. Um, that's the customer section. And there's a whole disclosure questionnaire. Like you're not involved in, you know, pornography or I'm pretty sure it's pornography weapons and cannabis, I think are the three. And then obviously you can't employ child labor, you know, certain standard right. you can't be in, you can't have like ongoing like legal labor disputes and things like that. But yeah, that's the questionnaire in a nutshell and uh, in a nutshell. So to tell you basically to answer the other part of your question, it is, fairly rigorous depending on size. I mean, there's a whole consulting ecosystem. I even have my own little kind of side consulting practice. There's universities that deal with NC State, honestly, was the kind of the inventor of the the university project, which is then what trickled down to UGA where I had my opportunity. And then I've since scaled at UGA, bringing those projects in, getting students assigned, usually MBA students, but we pair our MBA students with sustainability undergraduate students and let them work together for a semester. And now we have the framework. We have a lot of the policies, the low hanging fruit stuff is pretty easy for us to give them. And so we can spend more of our time, you know, actually letting the students consult and talk about best practices and figure out, so, you know, complex solutions to maybe depending on their industry. But yeah, there's been a whole like little cottage industry of consultants pop up around the country helping with this as well. So because it's not easy, but it shouldn't let you scare it away from it. I think it's a it's such an incredibly valuable process to go through to realizing what you know what you're what you're actually doing and starting to measure it. And again, reverse engineering from there to to, to goal setting and strategy. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, it does sound a lot like a lot of work. Um, you know, as as let's let's say I'm a business owner. I mean, there's you know I, I see what it does for the business, but do you get a lot of pushback at all? I mean, is there a difference in business judgment between hey, what's the return of investment on this versus you know getting the the values of this corporate social responsibility? I mean, what impacts does that have on corporate branding too? So I th I think it's starting to be less and less. I mean, even conversations I I get you know there's at least a knowledge of of a general knowledge of what the B is and what the logo is and like, okay, as companies that do good and it's breaking away, I think for more of the, like whatever you want to call it, the tree hugging stereotype or the drum circle <laughs> stereotype of businesses. Right. So you know, honestly, one of the most powerful quotes I've ever heard came from uh, the guy, Guiaki that makes the yerba mate drink, you know, the yellow cans of yerba mate. Yeah. And I heard him at a conference in Amsterdam. He said, no profit, no purpose. Just remember that like, you got to make money. <laughs> Right. And I, that still sticks with me and I love it. And I love your remote. So there we go. It's a match made in heaven. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the average CEO, I mean, I think about even when my, you know, I, I think back in my, if I put myself in my CEO's shoes six years ago and, you know, he essentially outsourced it to students, but they only had eight employees, but like, I now know a lot of the company backstory. Like we weren't selling a lot yet. You know what I mean? We had made some pretty big investments and in some pretty talented, like early stage, like, like you're, these guys are going to be the executives. Like 
she's going to run that whole customer success team. That's now it's, she's an executive like, you know, and our two executive directors were two of our first hires that are still with the company. And like, but yeah, we needed to go sell some stuff. Like, so the thought that he made this a priority is kind of cool. But then, you know, the other element of, of, you know, he also saw like, okay, there's some students that can help us do this because I don't have time to figure it all out. And I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. And honestly, it's never going to get done. So if I'm serious about doing it, and this is where a lot of people, the consultants come in, if I'm serious about doing this, let's figure out a way to do it. And even a lot of companies, you know, when it came for recertification, like they'll kind of create the role, like for, you know, we'll call it the beekeeper. But if you have like, I'll give you a good example. One of the projects we worked on last year, it was their director of impact. And it was an engineering company in Athens. And she took it to the CEO. He was bought in. If you don't have executive buy-in, it's never going to happen. Um, but she led the charge and she championed it. And then when she needed data or she needed this, she, she, you know, same thing with me. Like if I need something from the CFO and he doesn't respond, I CC the CEO and boom, and hits my inbox in 10 minutes. Um, so <laughs> I think having that internal champion that, you know, can help you get across the finish line. If you have somebody that's passionate about this kind of stuff, the, the CEO doesn't necessarily, the business owner doesn't necessarily have to do all the work. And that's part of why we created, or we're trying to scale the university footprint too, because it's such a nice offering. If they have somebody that can attend the meetings, as long as that executive is bought in, I mean like any real C-suite sale, as long as the executive is bought in, but you've got somebody else that can champion the rollout and champion kind of the legwork. It's again, it is, it is a lot of work, but if you know, if you have somebody that knows what they're doing, it can be simplified pretty quickly. And honestly, even from the consulting standpoint, people kind of balk at consultants, but you're probably looking somewhere between three and 10 grand. Like it's not like a $200,000 implementation to bring somebody outside in to help. Right. And it's also somebody that is, you know, vested, has a vested interest in doing good for your company. Yeah. And can help you go in. And again, I, I, sorry, sometimes I think out loud where, as you said that, I remember kind of the second half of the question that a good consultant, a good student team with the right leadership overseeing them also understands the ROI element. And I think there's a tendency or there was a tendency in this space to never want to talk about ROI because it sounds too Milton Friedman-esque. And ROI is important because it goes back to the no profit, no purpose. Like, And I look at my role as I'm director of culture and strategic impact. I have a budget. If we make more money, my budget is a percentage of the revenue. Right. <laughs> we make more money and we're hitting that 2% target. I have more volunteer money. I have more money money. I have more pro bono, you know, hours to throw at nonprofits who want to implement Salesforce, all of my impact scales along with it. So having somebody like me in that seat who also has an MBA and understands how businesses make money and that we can't do everything uh, or we'll go broke and we'll have no impact. I think part of that is the story that needs to be told. So how, how do you also like realize that ROI so you can still scale the business? Like how do you use it as, you know, the more companies I meet when they're, especially if their strategy involves you know when i meet with people i'll kind of ask them like what are you looking to get out of this and i'm not looking for the like to to save the world answer you know i'm our ceo will tell you it was the right thing to do oh that's his and then the roi has been a nice side effect but he'll also tell you there's an roi there that when you know if i meet with a company and they tell me well you know we're looking to to grow and you know we need to hire you know we're going to be hiring out of undergraduate 
Gen Z, you better get on board. Like you better, <laughs> they sniff and they, they will call your, you know what out. They sniff it from a mile away. Yeah. So if you're not authentic and you're not doing it and the B Corp logo to me is just the easiest way to go like, yep, we're doing it. They're verified. You know, it's like a checkbox on Twitter. Like you're, you're verified, you're legit, you're doing the work. And I think it signals to those employees, but also if you're doing it right, you're baking it into the culture. So then you're talking about a retention aspects beyond just, you know, cause any good recruitment program fizzles pretty quickly when people, you know, like look at most good DEI recruiting programs that fizzle because the include the I was missing, the inclusion was missing when they got there. But just, I mean, for most, if you sell culture that isn't real when they get there, even we ran into this where our recruiting team didn't fully understand and they were selling it as work-life balance. Like we're still consultants. We're not 60 hours a week living out of a suitcase, you know, last flight out on Sunday, uh, last flight back out on Friday, and then you're back on the road again. But you're still consulting. So we sold work-life balance and everybody, we were getting people that were like, oh, so I've hit like 35. That's good for the week, right? So we had a year with some turnover issues where it was like, what are we selling them on the front end of this? And it was like, oh, we're selling them something that doesn't exist when they get here. So let's not brand it that way. Let's talk about what it actually means to work here and our community impact and what we value and the transparency. And let's talk about those things. So I think a good consultant, a good student team helps the company implement it in a way that can make some money. And I mean, and I didn't really even because we're, we're more B2B, but there's a B2C component of that as well for your average consumer package good that, you know, especially now that Gen Z has disposable income. And by the way, they're turning 27 this year, the oldest Gen Z and millennials are turning 41 and we care. And so like for me, when I'm out shopping and I see the B Corp logo, like I'm probably going to pick that product, even if it costs a little bit more. So I think that there's starting to be a, a mark like an actual ROI on sales for B2C companies as well. I definitely agree. You know, I'm thinking of companies like Bomba Socks or uh, or Tom's Shoes, where it seems like their entire business model is like this one-for-one exchange where for every shoe or sock they sell, they donate a shoe or sock. And I mean, that's a really great idea if they're doing it right from the start. But is this something that, you know, those are large businesses. They're not exact. They're not exactly mom and pop. So is this something that only large businesses can afford to do or um, or is it something that you can incorporate as a as a smaller company? And also, what are some of the obstacles that small businesses might run into when they're trying to obtain this certification? I think it's easier doing it from the get go just as somebody who's been at a company that scaled and, and I, I have a friend who's an attorney and he, he's going through recertification. And when he started it, it was just him. And he's like, man, that was really easy. Right. And now he's got 10, you know, 10 attorneys working for him. And he's got this, he's got offices in two states. And he's like, whoo, this is a lot more complex now. Um, but again, at least he had all the frameworks in place. So he's been tracking all these things. It's much easier the second go around. But yeah, I, I think it's a lot harder to do it once you've, once you're bigger, I mean, Danone just did it. The big, you know, yogurt, dairy company, Dan and yogurt, whatever. Danone North America is now the biggest B Corp in the world. And like you're, you're, you're turning around an ocean liner, you know, versus when you're small, I think you're maybe just reversing course on a, you know, a little uh, speedboat, which is a lot, anybody who's been on both of those knows the difference, right. um, but it's much easier to turn that speedboat pretty quickly. So I, I think it's easier to bake this in from the beginning and it becomes part of your company DNA. But I also think it's pretty cool that some of these bigger companies are stepping up and like, Hey, if we're going to say we're doing all these things through our marketing department, maybe we should start doing all these things and not just doing them through the marketing department. So yeah, I mean, 
it's it's been interesting to see some bigger companies come into the fold lately but then you've got the you know the patagonias and the warby parkers and the toms and i would i know you're not videoing me but i I normally would be like look at my tom shoes and my bomba socks but i've been sick for a couple of days so i'm in like sweats and uh <laughs> just some old socks right now but normally that's my i am wearing tom sandals but yeah those are two of my favorite brands uh tom and tom's a main there's a bunch of really cool bigger companies that in a weird way have been our flagships for a long time but now you're starting to see new flagships like for us in georgia it was creature comforts uh was it about a month ago maker's mark and mm. in, in kentucky a bourbon company in kentucky certified as a b corp like break down some southern stereotypes for you yeah. so yeah you're starting to see some newer and newer like even I was in an event a couple of weeks ago and, and Bell's Brewing was speaking and they're looking at doing it. New Belgium, like you've got some bigger companies that, you know, and over the last like five, 10 years, it's kind of accelerated. And you're seeing, whereas I think it used to be more of a small, like five to 25 employee kind of niche. Now it's like a, some of our multinational corporations, even us, you know, 150 will probably be 200 in a couple months because we're kind of going through one of those spurts right now. Yeah. And seeing some of those companies, even last year, some of the companies in Georgia that went through it, 150 employee accounting company, 100 employee marketing agency, 150 employee engineering firm, like you're starting to see some really decent. And, and let's be honest, that is the majority of American jobs are in that kind of 50 to, to 250, that small, medium business space. I like that you brought up all of these you know, companies that you have references for as far as what they're what they're working towards it. You know, can you give me some other businesses? You mentioned a couple of them. I mean, can you can you talk about some of the causes that they're dealing with? Because it's easy to put this certification on there and then, you know, well, what are they actually doing? Like, what are the causes that they're working towards? Yeah, I mean, I can tell you a really cool one here with Creature. That's Sorry, that's our, our slang for Creature Comforts uh, in Athens is they have the Get Comfortable Fund which they started and, and it's its own nonprofit. They have a board of directors that, that they brought in from the community within Athens to run it. And they since pivoted, but originally it was like, okay, so we have a giving problem and everybody gives and everybody gives a little bit to everybody. And so nothing really gets done. So what are the biggest, you know, they brought in data to figure out what are the biggest problems facing Athens, Clark County, which is one of the honestly per capita, I think it might be the poorest County in the state of Georgia, even though we have that bright and shiny university and football stadium and right. indoor practice facility, like the County itself, not that affluent. And so what are the biggest problems facing the community? And then which organizations are doing the most to do something about it? And so they took those two metrics of data and then they basically became the fundraising vessel and they brought money in basically funneling all this, this energy and these resources together and harnessing that energy in, in a more collective way to the problems that need to be solved. And they've recently this year, they're actually pivoting because they've done, you know, they got some more research done and they've worked with the university on some of this research, but it's discovering that a lot of there's the third grade. Third grade is when you switch from reading to learn or excuse me, learning to read to reading to learn. And so it is a giant marker in education gap, which becomes wealth gap, which becomes education level attained, which becomes, you know, lifetime earning value and all these things. So they're working on a pilot program with their Get Comfortable Fund to address they're working with one elementary school in Athens to address, can we work on third grade literacy levels? And so they partner with some really cool nonprofits, Books for Keeps and a couple of different nonprofits in Athens 
to figure out how we tackle this along with the public education system. So that's a really, to me, that's a really cool one. Um, just from, I mean, a local, but b unique approach to corporate giving. Yeah. And I mean, I know for us, a lot of it, we try to volunteer our talent. So given that we do Salesforce consulting, you know, can we get our employees involved with nonprofits that can't afford Salesforce, but would love the technology and Salesforce provides those licenses for free to nonprofits, you know, you get up to 10 licenses free. So then we'll put like some consultants on them. We did a little like one day hackathon last year where we did work with four nonprofits and implemented Salesforce. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff like that going on behind the scenes of just small local impact. Um, but even we did a bigger project later in the year for the minority coaches, uh, minority football coaches association. Like, you know, you watch the NFL in the news and it's like, oh, here's this whole association that's trying to build a database from like JV coaches, Pop Warner coaches all the way up into the NFL. And it's like they don't have a CRM. So like they're keeping all this stuff in this. So if, you know, some division two college is looking for a defensive backs coach, there's this whole database of like, well, there's this guy who coaches high school you know, down the street from you. And how do we actually, you know, put some, some, some intention behind diversifying the coaching ranks in football? Like what a brilliant cause to get behind. So, you know, we'll throw time at stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, those are two that popped me off the top of my head, just from firsthand knowledge of what they're doing. But I think even Tom's has pivoted because, you know, they got a lot of blowback for the one for one shoes model where, you know, they were in a weird way, the model's great in theory, but then you think about the local impact and, You've got some cobbler in some, you know, village in Africa <coughs> making shoes and Tom shows up down the street and dumps a trailer of shoes off and <laughs> put them out of business. So, right. you know, how could they be? It, it, it was the intention was great. The impact wasn't necessarily awesome. So pivoting away from something like how can you be more strategic with a one for one model where you're not also, you know, sometimes our charity, especially in Africa, sometimes our charity isn't isn't as well impacted as it was intended. Um, and it ends up kind of, you know, suppressing local makers. So I think there's been a lot of attention to, to like, and that's where I love the creature model of like, let's put some data behind the impact we're actually making with our charitable contributions. And, you know, I mean, you can, there you, you, you donate money. If you just go drink it at their brewery downtown on the month of your birthday, they'll donate the amount of, they'll donate in dollars, the amount of years you are. So, I'm proud to say I donated $39 in January <laughs> and they do corporate sponsorships. So, you know, they do a bunch of fun, fun ways to get involved. So, um, but yeah, those are a couple of the cool ones. And I think it's kind of unique and I think it gets, and I think once you quantify that number and you go through the assessment and you're like, okay, here's the number we need to hit. And then you can get creative with it. Like, okay, it's some semblance of volunteerism and it's community, you know, pro bono stuff, it's community, it's dollars. And, and then what's important to us. And you get back to the branding piece of like the value of, you know, we do a lot of work upstream with organizations looking to diversify the tech ecosystem. And, the, the, you know, I realize that if we get our company from, you know, 10% black employee to 20%, but the ecosystem that we're in, Salesforce is still 3%. Have I really done anything other than, right. yeah, okay, I, I've obviously created a very inclusive work environment. We've done a good job with, you know, we've gotten the, the 3% of that ecosystem to come work for us. But like if the ecosystem is still 3%, we haven't really solved any of the problem. So for me, it's fun to get to work with, you know, organizations upstream that, you know, 10, 15 years from now, maybe we aren't, we're not, you know, if you think about Salesforce, you know, and the consultants in that industry and the, and Salesforce as a whole, as a company, you know, we're not all battling for the same 3%. 
of that ecosystem. Now it's, you know, 10, 20%. And when we put a job opening out, we're getting a diverse pool of applicants. And like that to me is, is a lot of what's cool about the things you see in the B Corp space. It's people thinking a little bit more intentionally about how they're giving and, and how they're giving back and what problems are you actually trying to solve or is it only about your own personal annual impact report? Yeah, you know, you, you bring up a lot of good points there. You know, one of the uh, one of the causes that I'm very interested in is, you know, homelessness and affecting homelessness. And, you know, I was, lis- I was listening to something the other day about um, about homelessness in the state of California. Now I'm not in the state of California, so I've got, really got I've really got no place to judge them. But you know, there was a, t- a statistic that came out that said something like, you know, I want to say there was a multi-billion-dollar budget for the state of California to fight their homelessness, and yet they have one of the worst homeless problems in the country. And one of the things that I that I saw in there was, you know, some of these some of these directors of the organizations that are doing this, they're getting like, you know, six and sometimes seven figure salaries every single year to deal with this problem that's not changing at all. So I think that's a really cool innovation and um, and sort of mindset that the that the B Corp model sort of provides is just like what you said, the exact, you know, how are we doing this? Like not, not just putting your money into this program and, you know, Hey, look, we donated all this money, to this nonprofit, but what is that nonprofit actually doing? What is that? What is that company actually, you know, implementing into the real world? Yeah. And, and I think too, there's an, there's an, an element of businesses can and, and should be involved in solving some of society's biggest issues. But I also heard a quote, it was David Paparelli who started a startup here in Georgia. They just opened an office in London but he used to work for Thrive, which is one of our our B Corp coffee roasters in Georgia, and they do all the coffee for Chick Fil A. So there, now you know who they are. Ne- next time you get a cup of coffee from Chick Fil A, you go, "Oh, Thrive Roasters." Um, but David, David had a quote. We were on a panel together, or I was hosting it. I don't remember, but he said something of um, entrepreneurs are the most throughout history. Entrepreneurs have have been solving society's problems. You know, you think about like entrepreneurs see a need. And they come up with a product to solve it. So they have that skill set inherently within them. So why would we not use that for some of society's other problems that maybe, you know, that just, you know, okay, so the homeless person might not have disposable income to buy a product, but how do we solve homelessness? And I look at a lot of those problems the same way, like I was talking about, you know, diversity in the tech space. Like, what is the upstream solution? Like, how do we think about problems with a 10, 15, 20 year range and start thinking about like upstream? What does that solution look like? So yeah, we have to take care of those who are homeless now and find them work. And I mean, oh, Grayson Bakery is another great example. I didn't know. Grayson Bakery does no background checks. It's a bakery out of Brooklyn. It was started by two, like, Bernie Glassman in the 70s. He was like a monk. He started his, like, monastery in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. And uh, their whole thing, though, is this open hiring policy. Um, but they're envisioning kind of like, a, that's like a current day solution. And then I think you know, to like, hey, we're not going to drug test you. We don't background check you. We don't care if you've been arrested. You know, a lot of those issues that go into long-term homelessness. Um, and they just were like, and, you know, they have counselors on hand. So if, if you have a drug, you know, if you slip up or something, they'll get you help and your job's still there. But you literally put your name on a list and they call you when the job's open. And they're like, hey, the job's open. And you just come in and you start working. There's no... There's no pee in a cup. There's no any of that. So that, I mean, that's a really cool one, but yeah, I think there's, there's, there's a long-term vision too, to, to solve some of these things. 
um, where we wake up in 20, 30, 40 years. Cause I, th- I think at the root of what you said too, is there's an element of like, what's my incentive to really solve the problem. You know, you get into that kind of like that, like hold on to it mentality that just like you do market share, just like you do, you know, profitability growth where you do a, a, a hefty salary. What's my problem to really do any better if this, if I'm also protecting my livelihood. So I think there's, there's, competing motives there that might not be the best. And I understand you also need really talented people to solve problems like homelessness. So you need to get them out of the private sector. But I think that the B Corp thing presents a pretty cool model because it's the private sector trying to solve some of these problems. Well, I want to go back to something that we talked a little bit earlier, because you were speaking a little bit about millennials and Gen Z, and they have more of sort of a vested interest in in these ideals that, that companies are doing. Um, one of the big things that's been going around right now is this term, the great resignation, where people are just leaving their jobs. And do you think any of that is caused by the concepts that B Corps incorporate or into these corporate lifestyles? I won't say that. Yes, absolutely. That, But I think that that is a big, I don't know that I would associate B Corps with it other than I would say that the principles that they adhere to. Yeah. And I haven't seen data around this, but just from all my you know, friends in the B Corp industry and associates and colleagues and B local and all the companies we work with that aren't experiencing this, that yeah. really, I mean, we haven't been hit by it at all. It's, it's the, it's the usual attrition that is consulting where I think sometimes we get people into consulting that they're like, that sounds great. And then they get into it and they're like, this is terrible. I don't want to do this at all. You know? Right. And, and, and then the occasional where we've created an opportunity for somebody to grow and, then this next great opportunity just happens to be external to the company and we high five them on the way out. But I think that there is a, there is a pushback right now. And I mean, I was there where I was just like, I mean, I literally woke up in 2014 and just quit a job through an email. I was like, I'm never coming back. Don't call me. Like my option was a Uber driver. And I was like, yeah, that sounds better. I, anything but coming there another day, and they told me uh, my breaking point was uh, we we don't pay you for your ideas we pay you to do what we told you to do and I was oh, like all right wow. see you later wow. but I think there there is a reckoning right now with kind of that traditional way of doing business and and viewing employees as a number um, and also there's an element of 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 younger people and I would include myself in this in the grand scheme of working I still have 26 years till 35 so I'm only 16 years into my or into 65. Sorry, I'm only 16 years into my working career. Right. So I think there's a semblance of like, hey, just be open and honest with us. And for the longest time, there's this element of of like, you know, jump. Yes, sir. How high? And it's like, nah, man, what are we jumping for? Like, it's, you need right. to you need to explain this whole jumping thing. <laughs> like, I'll jump for you. But like, get me get me excited to jump. Like, is there is there a business reason to why I'm to why I'm filling this form out? Is there a business reason as to why I have to come back to the office? I just did my job at home for two years. I love the flexibility. You know, is there a business reason that I have to do things this certain way? And I just got off a call with a CEO just recently certified uh, her B Corp. And we were talking about that. I said, whatever you do, I said, some of the biggest pitfalls we've run into is telling people the decisions we made and mistaking that for transparency. Just because you told somebody doesn't mean you're being transparent. They want to know the why. They want to understand what went went into the decision-making process. They want to understand how it affects their lives. Um, And then maybe they sometimes they just want to either complain about it, talk about it, ask questions about it. And, you know, helping their managers understand what went into it. So because the call is going to go to their manager, not to you. 
So having their manager get behind it and rally them behind it. And, you know, it's never going to be a majority rules. I think that's why people go and start their own businesses. Right. So they get to make the decision. But I think there's an element of that that, that is more valued. And, and just a quick anecdote. I heard a story. This is probably uh, a couple years ago. I think it was Rick Neuheisel who played football at UCLA. And then he coached at UCLA in Colorado and I think Washington. Anyway, somebody was asking him the difference in the generations of football players, you know, of when he was coaching versus when he played in the early eighties at UCLA. And he said, you know, when I was playing, they said, we're running this play. And you said, yes, sir. And he said, the difference now is when I tell a player what play we're running, they said, why are we running that coach? They want to understand that trying to, and it's not from a place of disobedience. They're just trying to understand what's the game plan. Like they're trying to become smarter and better and savvier. And I think good bosses are understanding that. And, realizing that like you can help your employees grow and learn and develop. And yeah, like I, I usually, I mean, we've had several of them, like you get to a certain point at a consultant, no matter how fast we scale, if somebody comes calling and you're, you know, a senior or whatever, and there's a director position open and you get to go be the guy or the girl at this company. Um, I don't know. I think if you get the chance to be to be the boss and you get a great opportunity, you know, those women that leave, those men that leave, we're high-fiving them out the door versus I think some bosses are afraid to lose people. And I I think that's a terrible, I heard a a quote from a a friend of mine last year and she's taking her company through B Corp certification. And she, she called me because she was like, yeah, one of my, one of my favorite young women is leaving and she's been with her forever and she's mentored her. And she's like, man, part of me was like, man, this stinks. And then she said, but then I had to catch myself and think, what kind of a leader am I if I'm not excited for that young woman and her next opportunity? Yeah. I mean, and that's that's like servant leadership. And I think that's the difference is like bosses like her are getting it. And, and these bosses that are experiencing this and these organizations that are experiencing just, I'm hoping it sinks in. But I think there's just a disconnect there with with what what is the shift that is happening right now and that it's not a fad. It's not a trend. It's not going back. We we are going to demand more from our bosses while still being realistic about how companies make money. And I think because there's still some semblance of that with younger employees, they don't necessarily have the whole picture. We all wanted the C-suite office when we were 23. Oh, I could run this company so much better. Right. No, you couldn't. Right. Um, so. <laughs> No, you know, you couldn't. Um, but I, and that's never going to be a generational thing. We've joked about that. I was like, my dad probably said the same thing. Right. You know, my, like my boss said the same thing. I said the same thing. So that's a great point that you make. You know, it, it really seems like a lot of that, that great resignation is just a keyword, but um, it's really about uh, celebrating people's successes, I think, and just, and just making, making their, their impact that they're making on your company known, you know, it's, 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 it's a great point that you make. Um, we are, you know, getting towards the end of the episode, but I want to make sure that people know where to find you. Cause you're a great resource for, um, for information about B Corps, but also just the business of being good. So I'm, I'm, I'm really impressed with, uh, what you've been doing online and everything like that. Um, I know you've got a podcast, where can people find that? And where can people find you on the internet, social media, all that stuff? Tell me where you'd go. Yeah. So let's see. The only social media I still use is LinkedIn. (laughs) I've given up on the rest. I do have an Instagram for my Christmas decorations, um, which is a fun (laughs) follow, but no, my LinkedIn is LinkedIn, uh, Nathan A. Stuck. We're about to move the podcast onto another website, but for right now, it is on Be the Change Georgia. It's available on all the major podcasting sites, but it's 
my production team is chatwithleaders.com. Okay. And then if you go into Be the Change Georgia, you'll find our podcast. Well, like I said, Misfits, we'll go ahead and put that information down in the show notes below. Go ahead and check uh, go ahead and check Nathan out. He's a great follow on there, and he's got some great insight into his podcast. I really like what you do. So um, I've learned a lot from it. Always happy to connect. Always happy to answer more questions about B Corp. So like, don't be afraid. I think a lot of people are like, I like to say a lot of people are bad at networking. Just reach out. Worst case, worst case happens is when you reach out to somebody, they don't answer. Right. <laughs> but worst case, if you never reach out to them, you'll never get in touch with them. That's true. That's true. Well, at the end of every episode, I ask all my guests the same question. It's one question in two parts. So what was the last goal that you completed? And what's the next goal that you want to set for yourself in the future? Oh, I'm trying Everybody to always you. gets a pause right here. And you can literally, you can say anything. I mean it. I had one guy tell me he wants to catch a sturgeon this summer. So, <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, I think the last goal I accomplished is I would say over the last two years, and I don't know that it was necessarily a goal other than it was really trying to scale be local Georgia and get it to the next level. And my personal brand of just getting on podcasts and, and doing the work and I'm not a details person. So like, I, I wish I had a better metric than like I keep a spreadsheet called speaking engagements and you know I've set a goal last year to do like I think I was like eight I was gonna do eight podcasts and get to like 2,500 followers on LinkedIn I got to 20 podcasts and I did and I got to 3,300 followers on LinkedIn and this year's goal was 4,000 and another 10 and I'll be honest I have like six scheduled in the next like week and a half and I'm already at like 3,800 and change so I'm like, I think I'm going to blow both those goals out of the water, but then also releasing the book, um, getting the book out. I recorded the speech last year and that was kind of a goal I'd set for myself. And nice. I did it after a home game on a Sunday at noon. So I was proud of that, that Georgia home games, anybody's ever been to Athens for one of those getting up before noon is a challenge and recording a speech in front of an empty room and pretending that you're on stage. <laughs> um, but it was a, it was an interesting exercise, but yeah. And then getting that over to, uh, to a writing team to help me kind of work on this book around helping people find their career with purpose. So really hoping to kind of take off with some of the speaking stuff this year as well, of just telling that story, like telling, I didn't give in, I didn't get into my whole backstory of this, but you know, when you're, when you're young in your career and you're trying to find something that, that you care about, that you can find your passion, a lot of it won't be there and it's not going to be there for a while. So helping people understand a that's okay, but B make sure you're working harder on yourself than you do at that job you don't like. And so that when opportunity knocks, you're not just in the shower, you're not out running errands, you're not hanging with friends When opportunity knocks, you're ready to answer the door. So that's the next big thing for me is hopefully getting this book out and getting out and sharing that story. And, you know, it's not, it is B Corp related, but it's honestly not. It's just, you know, finding your passion and and building the skill set so that, that you can do it when, you don't want to wake up at 40 and that job description, you're like, I'd be, I'd love that. And you're like, I'm not ready. I think it's a great idea. Are you going to do an audio book? Uh, yeah. I can't wait to narrate it. It's going to be so full of color. <laughs> it's going to be so me. Give me a brief three seconds. Tell me your life story in three seconds. Like, <laughs> I, feel uh, bad. I feel bad. We didn't we barely talk about it. I wrote a paper in 10th grade about being an international businessman. Um, I was taking German. My mom's from Berlin. So I was learning German. Um, thanks mom. Shout out for not teaching me German as a child. That was such an easy language to learn. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I, yeah, I was just, I love business and I love like econ in high school and I love those classes. I got to UGA and I was already a sophomore. And so like, I was right into Terry college of business. I got admitted right away, international business. 
And then I followed a girl back to Athens. And so I took any job in Athens I could find. So next thing I was dispatching trucks, chicken trucks in North Georgia. And it was just kind of like, and all of a sudden you're 21, 22, you're managing like grown men, just like driving truck for a living and, and cutting your teeth and like, but all that operations experience and managing plant relationships. And then I moved, I actually moved out to Vegas. I played poker for a little while, professional. I mean, professionally, I paid my bills. So technically that's professionally. Yeah. You will not find me on the world series of poker or any of those. You still don't want me at your home game. Um, and then I took a job with enterprise. I rented cars for a couple of years. And honestly, if you go to Advic and like, if you work for us and you look at like what our KPIs go out and I don't even do operations anymore or financial ops. It is, but I did. And I set it all up. It's straight out of enterprise. Like it is the enterprise playbook of KPIs and <laughs> what numbers drive revenue. And, and this is where we are. And this is the percentage increase over last week. And like, so I, yeah, is there anything exciting about renting cars? Not really, but I took that playbook and, you know, and then when I got into this job, I had that opportunity to kind of, you know, add value in a role that not, wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do, but it allowed me to do all the B Corp stuff and all the purpose and culture and impact. And, but it became pretty clear, like, oh, this guy's a value add, but it was all stuff I took from, you know, even B2B sales. I did three years of sales for enterprise after that and traveled all over Utah and Idaho and Nevada because I was out in Vegas and, you know, all the sales skills, learning how to talk to people, you know, when you're doing, you know, quality, you know, sometimes just employee interviews, like, hey, check-ins, you know, learning how to listen more than you speak, learning how to ask questions, learning how to ask probing questions, learning how to get people open, all that came from sales. So all those jobs that I never really cared about all gave me skills that have made me really good at the job I do care about and made me qualified for it. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the career and I won't even get into the two years where I told you I had four jobs in 18 months, um, <laughs> more chicken trucks. Uh, yeah. Sold cars for a while back at enterprise. Oh man. Yeah. I had some, I had some doozies that, that, that kind of led me down the path to finding B Corps and See, it brings it full circle to the beginning of the interview. I'm glad you came on. You're a wealth of knowledge, and you know, you definitely. Uh, I'm happy that you're doing something that you actually care about now. You know, I mean, that's that's so pivotal and so important to so many people that they just don't have that. I'm just I'm just some guy that is a is a cashier somewhere, you know, and I don't have any 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 interest in doing this. Um, finding that personal growth and finding that personal journey that you're on is something that you display very well and i think you uh you you show that in in everything that i've seen you do so kudos man kudos so appreciate it chris thank you yeah take just start start somewhere like you're not going to get the you can't drive 500 miles if you don't drive the first one so back out of the driveway back out of that parking spot and get going awesome there's there's no better way to end than that i really appreciate your time nathan thank you very much for coming on and um and misfits go check them out like i said we've got links to everything down in the show notes and um i've learned a lot from you buddy so thanks for thanks for coming on to the podcast appreciate it chris this is a lot of fun thanks for having me well misfits we did it that's our episode i want to thank you so much for listening and thanks again to our sponsors if you want to support any of our sponsors there are affiliate links on the sponsors tab of our website at www.misfit-heroes.com you can also find links to all of our social media there, so follow us for immediate up-to-date info about the podcast. Please, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to help me out, do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button so you're notified of new episodes as they're released, and make sure to leave a rating or review of the show on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Truly Misfits, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. And until the next episode, be kind, love one another, and be a hero.